You're listening to The Leader's Table, a podcast by Leadership for Educational Equity. Hey there, equity leaders. Taylor here as always, except this time I've got a new voice to introduce you to. Hi, hello everyone. This is Graham, and he's actually the producer of the show. But this week, you won't just be hearing him in the closing credits, he'll actually be joining me on the mic. Oh man, I've finally made it to the big time, haven't I? You totally have. We're going to miss Cindy's silky smooth, calming voice, but I'm super excited for the energy you're going to bring to the airwaves. Well, thank you, Taylor, and everybody else out there. I look forward to getting to know you all. Well, why don't we get this started? Great. Who do we have as a guest at the leader's table today, Graham? I am super excited to share the interview that Jason did with Nancy Gutierrez. Nancy is a former teacher and principal now serving as the president and CEO of the Leadership Academy, a nonprofit that has created a national model for teaching and inspiring leadership at every level of the school system. In the interview, you'll hear how the love she has for the community she grew up in inspires her work to this day. And Jason and Nancy discuss how important it is for leaders to be proactive when dealing with injustice. Okay, I'm into that. Should we get this going? Let's do it. Okay, everyone, pull up a seat. Here's Jason Lorenz at the Leaders Table with Nancy Gutierrez. Nancy Gutierrez, welcome to the Leaders Table. Oh, Jason, thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure to have you here as President CEO of the Leadership Academy. Um, as we think about and leaving the last 18 months, which has been the most trying time of, of my memory for leaders around the country in classrooms, in school systems, um, and really setting a course for the future as we get ready to go back to kind of a, a reentry to schools that's grounded in equity I look forward to drawing out your insights and hearing what you think is going to be important to get it right as we re-enter schools. Absolutely. And, and that's the question I, that I think is front and center for all of us. It's how do we leverage this deeply painful moment in time to really recreate for others what we want for our own? And I think that's the goal and the mission here of the Leadership Academy and of my own personal work, right, is to make sure we're doing this work through the lens of a culturally responsive leader and having exponential impact on systems across this country. You know, I think it always, um, everything that that a, an effective leader does has to be connected to a deeper why, right? It has to be connected to a deeper story of self that really propels you to action and keeps you centered um, in the work. I'm from um, a predominantly uh, Mexican-American community out in the Bay Area, East San Jose, California, um, predominantly first generation, predominantly newcomers to the country. Um, I got a chance to experience and I consider it, I didn't consider an opportunity until I learned more about it, but I think now I will say that it was an opportunity to learn about what no expectations or low expect expectations feel like, right? And so, so when you're experiencing that firsthand and you can see the way communities sometimes are disrespected or disregarded, uh, based on zip code, based on identity characteristics, all of that, you know, it, it's something that sits with you forever. You know, in my community was was extremely beautiful. Like we were a community where, uh, you know, I remember, I have fond memories of uh, boycotting grapes, 
uh, you know, during the, you know, as we were protesting the pesticides on farm workers in my family, we were farm workers. Like, you know, we had, we had that background. Um, and, and my mom would talk about picking prunes all day, large, large buckets, her and her family for, you know, $1 at the end of the day. And just, you know, not being able to go to the restroom and just a variety of different <clears throat> injustices. And so we had, we are also known in my community for, you know, giving your last dime for, you know, even when you have very little and we were, you know, there are so many different aspects of who we are culturally that were, um, we're so beautiful, but we're unseen. Right. And, and I, th I think like in, in many ways, like that then perpetuates a mindset about who we are as a community that does bleed into our school systems. Right. That, uh, and, and I, I remember, um, I remember the drill and kill. I remember being in classrooms where, you know, we, you know, where it was a little bit more like feeling sorry for us than it was about lifting the very best of us into that space and into the classroom. And so I had the opportunity to have one of the most amazing teachers, eighth grade, Mr. Lovelace, um, who was the very first teacher to ever really see me, right? Very first teacher to welcome me into his classroom, very first teacher to tell me, I was smart that, you know, he, I remember he gave me um, of mice and men at, at the end of the year to, and I got the most improved award, I, I, but I'm not convinced even that I, even though I had an amazing teacher and he did a lot of life-changing things for me in that moment until this day, I'm not convinced that it happens classroom by classroom. You know, it, you know, you shouldn't, we shouldn't cross our fingers and hope that you get a Mr. Lovelace right in the classroom. I am convinced, however, that it happens leader by leader. Right, that there's that exponential uh, impact of leaders, that leaders ensure that every classroom has a teacher like Mr. Lovelace who can engage and who can see and who can inspire, you know, and so that is our theory of action. It's, it's that leadership is the lever for change. Uh, and it's not just effective leadership, it's also leadership for equity, right, which has a, a very specific lens and very specific nuances that require us to be really courageous uh, in this work. Connect for me the, the experience that you had growing up in the Bay Area, seeing directly the, the, the issues facing workers, farm workers, being a part of, of, of public advocacy to the work you do today in developing leaders who will bring an equity mindset to classrooms and to the way that children are developed. Marshall Gans, actually from Harvard, uh, you know, was deeply part of the farm workers movement. He left Harvard, you know, as an undergrad to go and join civil rights and then moved to California, to Bakersfield, to Delanta, to, to work with Cesar Chavez. And I say that because his definition of leadership really resonates with me, right? He talks about, you know, leadership being accepting the responsibility, right, to create conditions uh, that enable others to achieve shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. And, and what I love about his definition is that it, there's real ownership by the leader to say like, look, you're stepping into a really adaptive space, like you got to own that space. You got to jump into that and you have to be able to bring others with you. I mean, that's really in many ways what his leadership definition is. Are you someone who can, can handle and manage in adaptive spaces and being a school principal, it's so adaptive. There's no playbook that's going to like have, you know, every answer and for every moment and being a superintendent being, you know, uh, and what we do with the leadership Academy is we do align our work to, to Gans's leadership definition, but we add layers of identity, you know, and, and I think that's the only part for me that's missing there, you know? And so when we talk about leadership at the leadership Academy, we talk about there's three parts and I'll read it to you and then I'll break it down. But we talk about culturally responsive leaders uh, and we talk about the fact that a, a culturally responsive leader recognizes the impact of institutionalized racism 
on their own lives, on the lives of students and families they work with, uh, and embraces their role in mitigating, disrupting, disrupting, and dismantling systemic oppression. Uh, and, and, and that's where it comes in the three parts here is like, all right, do I know who I am and my identity, how it plays a role in my leadership? Am I savvy about the identity of the community I serve? And, you know, have I, have I taken time to really learn, right? Listen and learn and engage and become part and one with that community. And finally, um, do I own my role in doing what I need to do to really sharpen uh, and understand deep, grave injustices uh, that, that have taken place that I need to, you know, I need to hit the pause button. I need to figure out what happened. I need to understand it deeply. And I need to figure out what's different, what needs to be different moving forward. Um, you know, Jason, if, if, I, if you don't mind, one quick story um, and something that I'm super proud of uh, is that, you know, I was the principal of the school my mom attended as a middle schooler. And you know, I remember um, when I got it, this was this, I was a, a principal first of a small uh, school. Um, and then, um, you know, we did we did really well. And, and the superintendent said, and, and part of it was saying, like, how can we create schools that create innovative practice within the district, right, versus external from the district? Uh, and, and then I got assigned to uh, probably the job of my dreams, even though I didn't know it was the job of my dreams. <laughs> uh, and um, I got assigned to the school my mom used to attend. And I went to uh, I went to my mom and I gave her the news and she said, Miha, I have been trying my whole life to keep you and your siblings far away from that school. And she got kind of scared, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and I had to remind her that I would be the boss. It would be different. But I also asked her, I said, Ma, tell me about your mem. Tell me, tell me, give me a memory. Tell me about your experience. And Jason, can you imagine that the only story she told me was about um, a fight she got into it in the girl's bathroom? Wow. You know, because that was, and she had, she told me, and she told me, and you know, this is an older woman telling me this story with so much pain. Like, and this is years ago, years ago, right? And she's like telling me the story full of emotion and about getting bullied and she gets sick and tired of it. And she did the thing she never thought she would do. And she's so ashamed that <laughs> this happened. But that's, Jason, that was the only story she could tell me about her experience at the school I was about to lead. And so you can imagine the, the, the connection around understanding what it means to, 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 for the harm to remain in people's bodies around experiences they have in school. And then for us to walk in as leaders and having to really understand what it means to be present in that moment, understand that as part of our leadership and not separate from it, right? So just connecting kind of all those pieces of why this work is so important and, and, and you know, and really being one with the community to understand uh, really what, what the right entry point is to lead. Absolutely. I often say in this podcast, I'm a survivor of New York City's public schools. <laughs> and, and I say that because I know what it's like to walk through life with the trauma of knowing that you've got to go enter a building and a system or a, a group of experiences every day, every single day that is not oriented to your success. Um, and I really, I resonate with that story about your mom because, you know, that, that trauma really does live with us and systems don't change fast enough. Right. So we know that, that, we know right. that schools have evolved, but they have, that we are still not living in a system that's oriented toward equity where every kid, no matter where you grow up, grows into a, goes into a space where they're like, wow, they expect so much of me. I've got so much opportunity. Um, and that has got to be what guides us, uh, guides us forward. So thank you for that. Can you 
talk a little bit about when you knew yeah, you were personally on the right path, um, either as a as a leader in a school school building or in your current work, where you just knew like this is the theory of change that is is right and what I want to dedicate, uh, you know, a portion of my career to 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 advancing. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think I knew that I was, I was all in, um, as a student, I just didn't, I couldn't articulate it quite then. And I, I thought that the path forward was, was, was activism. I thought I wanted to be an organizer. I said, it's wrong. It's, it's just wrong. What happens to us? It's wrong. How we engage. It's wrong that we're policed in this way. It's wrong that we continue to be kicked out of our schools. And, you know, and I had, you know, brothers and, and cousins and, and family members and friends, like all of us going through it. And I wasn't in my own trajectory as a student, you know, I didn't have the perfect record, you know, and, and that was happening to me as well as a kid, um, lots of suspensions, lots of detentions and, but, but nothing around, like there was no love there. Like there was nothing around re restoration or really caring about, you know, how to make us better, how to help us reflect on what had happened. It was just like, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, you know? And there was also this theory too, around like, in addition to, you know, removal from the classroom, it was also this idea and concept about removal from the community, right? This like, there were moments when perhaps I showed some glimmer of like hope or like, you know, potential. And an adult would say to me like, you know what, you, you're smart and maybe you'll be able to get out of here and do well for yourself. And for me, that was a big problem because I'm like, why would I want to leave my home? Why is the answer that I'm leaving my community? And, and I've seen that in my adult world. And so I think, I think I was propelled in those moments. And I thought it was, you know, and so I would show up to all these protests, you know, for the community. And, and, I, and I realized that the answer was actually in being proactive, not reacting to the injustice, but like trying to get ahead of them and getting ahead of them meant becoming a teacher you know, and, and really be, being able to create spaces for the next generation, right, to, to think critically about, about, about their, their lived experiences and about, about the community and about what they, the change they wanted to be and, you know, and how we could engage and be inclusive in the work we did. And so I think that, I, I think that I've always been all in. I just didn't know the path. And when I found the path through teaching, it was like a light bulb, you know, kind of went off. Uh, and, uh, and, and the pathway to leadership was was truly about, you know, the community saying like, look, if you're all in, like, this is what we need you to do. And, you know, I thought, Jason, you know, I, I'm sure you can resonate. Like, I thought to myself, I don't want to go to the dark side. I don't want to become an administrator, right? Like, I'm down. I'm a teacher, you know? And um, the the administrator, the leader the ability to, to, to really shift systems versus smaller units of change. All roles are important. I'm not downplaying any particular role in the system, but that role in particular, you know, an effective leader will keep effective teachers. An effective leader will respect the community, right? Will make the community, you know, and I remember even being from the community, one of the big lessons I learned was that even being from the community, I still had to learn a lot about the community. I grew up two blocks down and yet there was a lot I didn't know. And there's a lot that our lived experiences don't tell us about the work that we are about to, you know, uh, embark upon. And, and so, yeah, so I, I think that, that I've, I've had so many different moments of reminding me of why 
uh, my purpose for being all in and everything from being a child and having the experience to being a leader and actually seeing the direct impact on families and communities uh, to zooming out to working with the Leadership Academy to seeing the way this work plays out across the country in different forms, in different ways, and, and how much leadership matters um, in this work. Yeah, I really appreciate your your self-reflectiveness of your own identity and its role in your leadership. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what has changed in you over, say, the last five years or 10 years as a leader. It's a, it's a great question, Jason. Um, I think, you know, there was a very, I think 10 years ago, I would have said that my calling was specific to East San Jose. I was dead set on that, Jason. Like I was not like, I was like, I'm a home girl for life. And I think, um, and so, you know, I taught in my, I taught two blocks down from my mom and, you know, where we were raised and I was a principal of two different middle schools in my community and a hardcore home girl, you know, and, and that's it. Um, and I think, I think the experience of being able to zoom out a little bit and see the, see the world. I'm like, wait a minute, our voices aren't at the table. A Chicana from, from, from Califas, you know, like we, I have a responsibility here to be at the table, to represent us in a way um, I've never known. And, and, and so that was one big shift, like a mindset shift for me. Like I need to step up in a different way. And the other two was like realizing that home didn't didn't necessarily have to be limited to e San Jose. That that our experiences there and, and the struggle we had was connected to a larger struggle for liberation for communities across this country. And those those shifts in particular, both stepping in to say like I need to do something different, or I have this opportunity to really lift my voice and sit at tables to represent my people, my community, our experiences, and realizing and connecting to the larger struggle. Those were life-changing for me. Uh, and, and I think that's where I find myself today is that, you know, I've gone from identifying as, you know, Chicana to identifying as Latina. And again, it, it kind of continues to broaden the umbrella here to identifying as a woman of color, identifying as a queer woman of color. I mean, you name it, like wanting to connect multiple struggles within anything I do and say and anything and any, and any, any, um, anything I fight for or work towards. Uh, and, and I think that uh, I think we need to care about each other's liberation uh, in, in, in very explicit ways, in very intentional ways in order for, for the work to really advance. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I want to move to our short answer questions. And these are going to be relatively short, under two minutes. Um, question number one, okay. if you could snap your <laughs> If you could snap your fingers to make one change for kids and communities today, what would that be? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is I want every public school child to get private school treatment and access. You know, and that means that you're you're known well, that you're you're seen, you're respected, you're loved, you have joy in the curriculum, you work towards your passions, you feel belonging, all of that. I want private school access for public school students. And what's one skill, a resource, maybe a life-changing book or a podcast you just wish every leader in the entire country would know about and use? One of my core books, um, I use it uh, as a core for my NYU course. I use it as core for my own life. Is like Angela Valenzuela's Subtractive Schooling. Classic, right? Classic that's not read enough. And it really points to, and it names the way we strip 
our youth of identities as part of the schooling process. And it really calls us to action to do better, to be inclusive in our work, which is actually a big, huge debate of education today. Should we be inclusive? Should we not? Absolutely. What's a piece of advice you would give to your 23-year-old self? Hmm. Well, so when I was 23, I was um, a second-year teacher. And I remember um, being asked by people who learned I was from the community, you know, how many of your siblings or cousins or, you know, friends are, you know, we always want to know how our students do later, how many of them are locked up or got pregnant early or just a real deficit mindset. I remember getting very discouraged and thinking like, okay, maybe teaching isn't for me. I would tell my 23 year old self, like, no, like you are the change you want to see. Like, don't get discouraged, like stay in the game, figure out your pathway in to shift these mindsets that you have a responsibility here. It's a lot on your shoulders, but you're going to be okay. And do you realize the privilege that comes with being able to do that work and to represent your community? I would tell myself not to get discouraged and stay with it. Stay in the game. You got this. I always appreciate the answers to that question because most of our listeners are going to be that 23-year-old, right? They're going to be the, the, the person who is literally in your shoes trying to figure out how to get to where you are today. I want to move us to our three-second answers. These are going to be our lightning round. Um, so question number one is when you feel overwhelmed or lost, what helps you focus? I have to say nature. I have to say, you know, taking a run or taking a walk, a hike, going to the beach. Um, I, I think that we get the, the, the answers to our most complex questions when we are surrounded in nature. What's one thing about the next generation of leaders that excites you for the future? you know what? They're unapologetic. You know, sometimes in a frustrating way, you know, they're, they're a little, they're rigid in their determination for justice. Uh, and we have a lot to learn from the next generation. Um, and, uh, and, I, and they inspire me. They inspire me to, to be more bold, to really fight harder for liberation. Uh, and they are our leaders. Who's a hero that inspires your work? You know, there's so many. Um, but I'll tell you about an experience I had um, just this past uh, few weeks. My my tío Mundo, my my uncle just passed, and I had a chance to to we we he died in the United States, but we buried him in Mexico. And when we went back to um, our family's hometown, um, I learned so much about him that I I didn't know. And, and and he has always been someone I've admired, but but I consider him one of my heroes and guides. I learned that. He would go to Mexico very often, every other month. I learned that when he would arrive, he would set off fireworks so that the community knew he had arrived. I learned that the next day after he set off fireworks, everyone would come under hit to his house where he had two big mango trees and they would sit and they would catch up. And he had brought stuff from the United States that was hard to get in Mexico. He, I learned that he would go around and check up on people, make sure they were okay, make sure they had access to what they needed that they couldn't get. Uh, within their community, I learned that he would go every, you know, when he arrived that Sunday to the market uh, to 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 give more items to people who didn't know him. I, I mean, I learned so much about the way he never forgot his community. If there's one thing that I strive for in my own work, in my own life, is to never forget who I am, never forget where I come from, and never forget what it means to always give back and keep my community front and center. And 
my Theo Mundo did that. And, and he's, he's one of my heroes for sure. Mm. I'm so sorry for your family's loss. May, your, may Theo Mundo be an angel on your shoulder as you do this work. To get us uh, closed, I want to ask you to think about the next five years as you and the Leadership Academy do your work, as you inspire more leaders and you build mm. the capacity of leadership, what will the world look like um, as your theory of change comes about as, as more self-reflective leaders who are rooted in their identity and, and really building effective tools for change as they come about? What will the world look like? Hmm. You know, I, I would say it, this takes me to two places. Um, one is that, you know, right now, about what, 20% of our leaders are leaders of color. I, I think that 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 needs to increase exponentially, right? Uh, and if we can have a hand in supporting that to happen, uh, we are all in, in every way you can imagine. Um, our leadership needs to be representative of, of, of our students and of our communities, period. I don't even need to explain that, period. Uh, number two, um, we need to make sure that every single leader in front of our kids is culturally responsive. That, that, that our leaders are taking the time to really understand and be one with the community, that we are not doing to, but we are doing with, that we are engaging, that we are learning, that we are, uh, that we are all in for the communities we serve, right? That requires a lot of work. That is not something that happens, you know, overnight or happens naturally as part of this work. That requires very intentional work. Now, go, going back to, I guarantee you that if, that if our leaders, as we move five years, 10 years from now, are treating and engaging with their communities in ways that they want for their own loved ones, I guarantee you we will have culturally responsive schools and that everyone will have the answer right in front of them. The answer is with the leader, the answer is with the leadership teams, and it takes time, it take, it's gonna take very intentional practices to hit the pause button, to ask that question, and then to assess moving forward. Thank you so much for being with us today, Nancy. We, I just really appreciate your, your generosity of spirit, of insight, of just sharing yourself, and um, I look forward to future conversations and watching what the Leadership Academy accomplishes along with many, many leaders around the country. Jason, it has been my pleasure and my honor to, to have this conversation today. Thank you so, so much. And that was Nancy Gutierrez at the Leaders Table with Jason Lorenz. Thanks for sharing that conversation with us, Graham. Well, it's not a bad one to have as my first episode co-hosting. Nancy was politically active so young, boycotting and attending protests and generally fighting for better working conditions for her family and community. And that seemed to be a catalyst for her work for fighting for change in classrooms later in life, too. Yeah, that's right. I love when she said the answer was actually being proactive, not reacting to the injustice, but trying to get ahead of it. And she was really able to do that when she served as a principal at the school her mother attended. Can you remind me of the name of the book she mentioned? The one Nancy said discusses the stripping of our youth of identities as part of the schooling process. Oh yeah, that book is called Subtractive Schooling by Angela Valenzuela. We'll put a link to it up in the show notes at educationalequity.org slash leaders table. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you were inspired or learned something from the episode, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out when new episodes are released. 
We're on Spotify, Apple, and practically everywhere else you can get podcasts from. And if you liked what you heard, please consider giving the episode a share to a friend who you think could also be inspired by the conversation. Or simply leave us a review or write to us at leaderstable at educationalequity.org. We'd love to hear from you. Our show was hosted by Jason Lorenz, myself, Graham Forden, and me, Taylor Stewart. The episode is edited by Nolan Peters and written and produced by Graham Forden. hey Thanks for pulling up a seat at the leader's table. Be well, stay safe, and until next time. Hey everyone, I'm David Whitehead, and I'm Lee's Director of Programs and Organizing in the DC region. One of the things that I love most about being on staff at Lee is our ability to get to know awesome members like you and support them in their leadership journeys. One of the ways we do this is by having one-on-one virtual meetings to help you understand the landscape of your region, explore your leadership goals, and develop a plan to achieve those goals. These one-on-ones are a free service to all Lee members who are interested in getting more involved with their community. You'll meet with a Lee staff member like myself, who is from your home region. In the past, Lee members have joined or led massive organizing efforts to move millions in education dollars. Others have analyzed the political landscape and run for office, while others have navigated and advanced their career in countless other ways. These one-on-one conversations are tailored to your interests and opportunities in your specific region. Sessions start out at 30 minutes, and you can sign up for free by logging into your member homepage at educationalequity.org, and near the top right-hand corner, you'll find a link to connect to your designated regional Lee contact. Please head over to educationalequity.org and reach out to us soon. We can't wait to get to know you one-on-one.